I wish this episode would edit itself. It's a whole lot of nothing that Wishing did, I guess. You just trying to steal the funny thing at the end of the episode? No. Oh. It's going to be at the beginning. Oh, okay. <laughs> Begin! Double Issue. I'm your host, Daniel Poole. And I'm Quentin Pongratz. And this is a podcast where we tell stories and world build in a shared universe. Right now we're making up a superhero universe. And this episode is a story episode. Yeah. Woo. We've got... Can you believe it's only been two weeks since the Swords episode? <laughs> because at the end of the Swords episode I said... <laughs> The week after next, we're bringing you Tabula Rasa. Man, it almost feels like that was like a month ago or more. <laughs> we we had some stuff going on June, July, but I think we did pretty good. We didn't have any missed weeks. Well, unless you count the movie review. Those are filler episodes. <laughs> they still count as content. It's still good stuff. So did you do anything to prepare yourself for this episode? Took a month off. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. What about you? Um, I watched all of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and bought a kiddie pool to put in the backyard. So that's been about it. Besides work. When I met Daniel, he said, my name's Daniel, but most people call me kiddie pool. And he said I could call him that. But I didn't. One, that seemed weird to me. <laughs> it seemed even more weird because I thought he said kitty like baby cat pool i was like yeah i'm not i'm not gonna do that he meant kitty pool as in young child pool because he is the youngest of his brothers with the last name pool that's right we've got the gene pool the rusty pool and then the kitty pool yeah the the thing about that nickname is that was a lot cuter and funnier when i was like eight to like 14 and I think it was that experience, the time I told you that, and you were like, I don't know, that I thought, <laughs> is 18 too old to be introducing yourself as kiddie pool? Hi, my name's Daniel, but you can call me Young Wet Cat. <laughs> so I made that my name on a forum, because that was just my internet name everywhere. Young Wet Cat? No, <laughs> kiddie pool. <laughs> and I thought it was fine, until I saw that my picture on there was like me with a big beard in a dark room, and I was like... I don't think this is working anymore. I feel like this is looking like a weird situation. The funny story is I'm a big dude and someone told a camp master at scout camp. Oh, yeah. You just have to ask kitty pool for those because I worked in the kitchen and whatever those were. And the guy was like, this is a prank, right? Like this big guy is going to like lay me out whenever I call him kitty pool. <laughs> but to this day, random Cub Scouts that I taught at summer camp will come screaming and running up to me in like a Walmart parking lot and be like, Kitty Pool! I just, hi. You say, water's fine. Come on in. <laughs> come join my young wet cat. Is that all we got for here? I, I think. I don't know. I didn't read any comics or anything. I read some Oki comics and that's it. Oh, yeah. How are the Oki comics? I saw the giant possum. Pretty good so far. I'm making my way through them. They're basically like short stories in a magazine in comic format. Cool. So I've been reading one here and there. 
I read like one Adventure Time comic this last week. I need to read more though. I got like oh a... yeah, you read comics when I was moving. Yeah. Oh yeah. I read a bunch of Planet Hulk and shoot, what's the one where Planet Hulk comes back to Earth after Civil War? World, World War Hulk. Yeah, I read a bunch of those. I guess it could have been helping move more, but there was a lot of comics to read. I've got a little bits. Do 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 little bits. Daniel's little bits. <laughs> this week in Daniel's little bits, it's Quentin's little bits. Quentin's little bits. So after we recorded the Sensational Six episode, I realized we had quite a bit of a timeline issue. <laughs> so you and I knew what was going on, but we did not make that clear for the general yeah. listening audience. Yeah, I think how it works out is most of the stuff that we said in the episode is still canon. However, there are two iterations of the Sensational Six. There is the one with cup hands on it, and that team falls apart at some point. Most of the stories can fit around that time. But I think they had a reboot, and that's where a lot of the technology stuff storylines comes in, is going to be in a world with more modern technology. Because <laughs> in order for cup hands to be away long enough, it wouldn't have been around a time when... I don't know, maybe it can kind of work, but the eye wouldn't have been nearly as powerful in the first iteration. Yeah, but I mean, reality TV was at its height, what, late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah. So So there can be around then and then a modern reboot. Yeah, I mean, that's still almost 20 years. Oh, yeah, I give them plenty of time. Oh, yeah. It's just, even if we do, like, mid-2000s, there's still a disconnect in between some of the technology we were referencing and what it would have been then. Yeah. But I figure it reboots with the same characters, except some of them are a little more famous now or whatever. I was saying, plus, you would have old cast members coming back, and you'd have replacement cast members that are brand new. So you'd kind of have a, a mix of older, more established heroes and the new upstarts to mix in with them. Yeah. Definitely need a new touch guy. or Yeah. One. But yeah, just a little ironing of our timeline. I need to sit down and put like all my stories into a timeline. Yeah, because yours is uh, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> I was going to say memento or no, that one was just backwards, wasn't it's it? It's not completely backwards, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you could you could say it was a Dunkirk. <laughs> my stories about the teens are 10 minutes long. My stories about the kaiju are one hour long. Oh, one last thing before we get into the stories. Pushing hard for the Discord. Everyone should join because I have linked a video in the Discord chat, which Daniel and I will be referencing throughout this episode. We've already referenced it countless times before now. You guys are just missing it. Yeah, if you're in the Discord, you're in the know. The preferred way is probably listen to the episode, then watch the video, then listen to the episode again. That way it has like a, oh, yeah. like a sixth sense type twist. So you have the forethought to see the jokes coming. Yep. Also, when you re-listen to it, you should re-listen to it on a new device and or outlet. <laughs> you want to do your story? Is it your turn to go first? Yeah. It's been so long, I can't remember. I know, right? Blank Slate by Daniel J. Poole 
There's a moment when someone dreams in which they aren't fully awake or asleep. In that time, every second can stretch into hours. Decades wash out into centuries. Michonne's eyes rolled restlessly in a trance. His body was a prison. Intravenous feeding tubes pumped a steady stream of fluids into his cryochamber. Besides the scuttling of biosynthetic cleaning beetles, nothing made a sound in the barracks. Hundreds of identical chambers stacked on one another formed a honeycomb. Vital signs lit the narrow hall with a dim yellow light. An alarm filled Michonne's stasis tube as a blend of psychostimulants were added to his feeding tube. His pod was ejected from the wall. The lid slid back with a hiss. The Centauri floated free of his cryochamber. His feeding lines removed themselves with a snap. Serum wafted into the air in small clouds. He jerked awake with a start as his heart began pumping at a full speed. His eyes opened with a jolt to total darkness. He breathed hard and unsteady as he took in his surroundings. Greetings, Michonne, said a measured voice. Who's there? Why can't I see? He replied. You are still experiencing the stasis effects. They will pass momentarily, the voice said. I am the Centauri ship Conquest. Right. The ship. Is this... a dream? No. I have summoned you out of stasis. According to my logs, you are the most gifted warrior aboard. Michonne cut them off. Why, thank you. And the most expendable member of the crew, the computer finished. The Centauri rolled his eyes. He said, You could have left it at most gifted. Why do you need me? Conquest said, We are being boarded. My defense systems were taken offline. According to my calculations, you have the highest probability of repelling the pirates with the least cost. He smiled. Wish I had your confidence. I can't even remember who I am. Your memory lapse will clear with time. It is a side effect of the cryo chamber, the ship said. Now, prepare yourself. Under his pod, a second door slid back. He rotated himself in space to view its contents. A full suit of raptor armor, a trio of blades in different sizes, and a rifle. His hand ran over the textures of the plates. He palmed the helmet. Its face resembled a screaming bird. His hands acted on muscle memory. He assembled the armor over his one-piece membrane spacesuit. Michonne asked, Have... have I done this before? As I said, you have a high probability of completing this task, Conquest answered. You have performed diligently. I will recommend your sentence be shortened. My what? An explosion shook the barracks. Echoes reverberated through the walls. The cleaning beetles chittered and disappeared into cracks between the cryo chambers. Conquest said, The pirate vessel has breached the outer hull. Countermeasures have been initiated. I authorize you to use deadly force, Raptor. Michonne clamped the helmet around his head. It pressurized with a snap. Conquest cut all lighting on the deck. The raptor suit's eyes pulsed a brilliant red. He took the rifle from its slot and pumped the plasma ignition. The weapon registered white hot on his viewscreen. The Centauri warrior said, Then let's do this. Damn, Captain. It's more than just a colony ship. This right here is a full-blown Legion craft. Are you sure this is a good idea? asked Rigby. She wiped the end of her snout. Her wrist-mounted hollow screen flashed maps of the area with data about the ship. 
while her eyes searched unseen fields. She pointed to winding corridors on the display that ran the length of the ship. Those bloodthirsty Centauri warriors sleeping in there. Good, said Horace from inside their heavily armored spacesuit. He pressed a button behind his ear. Metal plates slid back from his face to reveal his bright red skin. Let them sleep. We'll jettison the monsters back to the void. Karis grabbed Jonas's arm with a clawed hand. Hey, wait. He rolled his eye stalks but walked back to her. Her iridescent wings fluttered as she spoke. Even you have to admit, this job's a little over our heads, right? Jonas shrugged. It's just a big risk, but we could retire on this kind of cash. One of his eye stalks went back to watch the captain. When he was out of earshot, the eye focused back on Karis. He said, Besides, even if this goes south, we'll just get a big share. He followed after the captain. Rigby flicked some dials on her hollow screen and said, The security system's offline. It shouldn't be able to stop us. We just need to get to crowd control before it wakes the squad up. Easy. Karis held back. She looked toward the lights of their ship, then back to the darkened hallways ahead. Only a spot of light from her headlamp illuminated the floor. She ran to rejoin the group. How much further? asked Captain Horace. He stooped under an archway. Rigby swiped at a projection, then rotated with a hand gesture. Just up ahead. Hey, Karis! Check this out! called out Jonas from behind an ajar vault door. She shoved it further open. The room was filled with geometric golden chest. Jonas was wearing a crown and waved a scepter at Karis as she entered. Look at all this great stuff! Karis's wings flittered. Her arms made a high-pitched whine as she rubbed them together. She said, I don't like this. Why was the vault door open? I don't know. Rigby did something to disable the security. Probably hit the locks, too. He said, wagging the scepter at her. She rubbed her shoulder. I just... It doesn't feel right. I'm going to catch up with the captain. Whatever, you just worry too much. Just as Kara stepped outside, the vault door slammed shut behind her. She ran back to it. Through a small glass porthole, Jonas's headlamp flickered on the other side. His hands beat at the glass between muffled cries. Her hands clawed at the smooth edges of the hatch. Air rushed out of the vault as the man's cries became silent. Through the thick glass, his body floated away from the door. Karis took a step back and a deep breath. Near the door, there was a fire suppression emergency lever. She broke the glass and pulled the handle. The corridor locked down and air rushed out. She pressed the handle back into place. Everything returned to normal and the vault unlocked. Jonas flew out of the room gulping at air. His eye stalks frantically swerved side to side. Ah, did you? No. How did you do that? Karis said, Rigby disabled the security system, not the fire suppression system. He closed his eyes and cursed. So we need to steer clear of elevators, sliding doors, and sprinklers. She nodded and added, I'd watch out for toilets, too. Horace stuck his head around a corner of the hall. He called out, Hey, you two. Keep up. Don't dawdle. Karis took off at a fast walk. Jonas followed, saying, What could go wrong with a toilet? She didn't answer him. They followed Horace. A sliding door slammed down on the captain as he passed under it. It caught on his armor. Using both arms, he held it in place till the others passed through, then dropped it with a clang. Horace cleared his throat. <clears throat> Rigby is already cracking the AI. We need to cover her till we gain access to the emergency admin protocols. 
the trio sprinted to the control room. Inside, flickering lights and view screens illuminated the room softly. Hey girl, where are you at with this bucket? No one answered. Uh, Captain Horace? Look. Jonas kicked at something on the ground. The red man stomped over. Rigby's arm and hacking bracer laid on the ground. Their eyes followed a trail of blood through a nearby door. The captain said, Garrus, you're up. Keep cracking and we'll take care of the guard. Jonas and Horace followed the trail out of the room together. Garrison fastened the bracer and picked up where Rigby had stopped. An invisible world of color streamed past her eyes. She was in the security system. It was something like flying, but she could still feel her feet against the ground. Neon billboards laid out a file structure with flowing rivers of data. She transfers the digital architecture until she found the emergency protocols. Rigby had been close to finishing. Right then, something in the security feeds caught Karis's attention. Horace and Jonas were running through a hall. They stopped momentarily to check a corner. The pair rounded it, but right behind them was a figure dressed in a pitch-black suit of armor, carrying a sword. She lost them for a moment between feeds. Her mind flipped through channels desperately. Out of the dark, a blade caught Horace's foot. He fell forward. Whipping around, he raised his pistol but was too slow. Another edge caught his throat. A pool of blood streamed from the wound. Kara struck the console and cursed. She searched for Jonas. He had to be nearby. She found him hiding in a supply closet. His breathing was labored. The black armored figure walked purposely toward him. They stopped right outside for a moment, but continued on their way. Jonas opened the door and cocked his rifle. He followed the footfalls of his assailant. The figure stopped just around a corner. They prepared a blade to strike Jonas. Karis panicked. She searched for turret systems. Just in time, she opened fire on the black armored man. They rolled out of the way of the fire and then flew back. Grabbing Jonas, they used his body as a shield from the gunfire. Karis let out a shriek. She started back at emergency protocols. In her peripherals, she could see the figure gliding through the hallways at a high speed. Her pulse quickened as her heart thrummed in her ears. One final firewall remained when she saw him in the room with her. He was perfectly still. His red mechanical eyes watched her from the doorway. She froze. Spreading her wings out, she took a deep breath. Thinking quickly, she hacked the suit's internal servo controls. They were completely open. She made them buckle and fold all at once. Ha! Got you! She said. The black armor quivered and rattled on the floor in a pile. Karis turned back to the ship's controls. The final firewall crumbled. Admin access granted flashed on nearby consoles. Karis felt lightheaded. She had won. Her hand reached to brush across her forehead. Only a stump of her arm remained. She stared at it in horror. A nude Centauri warrior stood next to her, blade in hand. You are a worthy adversary, Michonne said. The insect fell into a command chair, still clutching at her arm. He continued, This is a good death. He pierced her hearts. She died immediately. The lights brightened. Conquest's voice called out. Excellent work, Michonne. You have served well. Now, 
Back into cryo. The warrior picked up the arm and hollow bracer. He began flicking through ship logs, crew histories, and flight plans. He said, Conquest? Yes, Michonne. I want you to erase all personnel files. The ship was silent for a moment. Michonne said again, Conquest. Delete all crew records. His face stared back at him next to a list of war crimes. You aren't authorized for that, the computer protested. Michonne shook the arm in the air and said, Oh, but I can. He pressed a button on the hollow bracer. Records began dissolving. It's time for a blank slate. question we used to do but we we haven't been doing that yeah. i like is what what is your inspiration for what was your inspiration for this story did you have any like things you're drawn on and you can't say your inspiration was the prompt my inspiration <laughs> is the prompt was ian arbuck saying tabula rasa <laughs> <laughs> i did name a character after ian arbuck's brother there's a jonas and i thought that was fun i'll be a little easter egg in there the inspiration for the episode was sort of loosely based on the cartoon pitch black that is between movie one and two so it's about escaping a ship and it's just kind of the style like the general feels and ideas of that was it chronicles of riddick escape from butcher bay yeah no that was the video game i don't know what the oh other no one was called. it wasn't that one <laughs> I thought that name was really long it's, for a like twenty minute. It was Chronicles video. of Riddick something. Chronicles of Riddick Dark Fury. Yeah, that's only thirty five minutes long. Yeah, it's a short cartoon. Dang, I thought it was full length. And it's weird because they reference stuff from that cartoon a little bit in the second movie, but Mikey. Shh. Um. Oh yeah. So the inspiration was a little bit of Chronicles of Riddick and a little bit of. There's a couple episodes from Teen Titans or. Young Justice, Young Justice, where they're underwater and uh, they're fighting Black Mantis. And I kind of took some ideas from that. I feel weird because I wanted it to be more of like a horror movie. And I don't feel like that came across like kind of like a neon lit mm. 80s horror. But I also sort of like the direction it went. I guess we've gotten someone off topic. Yeah. <laughs> what other story You're questions? my inspiration. <laughs> This has royal status implications. Yeah. We, we ironed some of this out before, but but the the implications of this story d- didn't necessarily match how I was viewing the situation on Centauri Prime before. Originally, we talked about there being two main groups. Is it the Hibo? The Ibu and the, the Shwait. Yeah, and the Shwait. So we talked about there just being two groups. And then in this story, it kind of implies that there's a further breakdown from those two groups. Mm -hmm. Like in this story, this is a members of a smaller royal house are on board the ship. So it's a a subdivision of the larger house or a larger group. Yeah. So we'll have to iron that out more (laughs) at some point. Yeah. In my original story, I wrote something like, 
about the Empress. And I was like, oh, I don't know how that would fit in either, though. <laughs> I like the implication, but... Yeah. And I was saying that it seems like Michonne gets quite a bit of freedom in general. Even though it's got the lockdown and stuff, it does seem quite a bit of freedom. But you were saying it's basically a normal normal colonization ship, with, uh, but with extra extra bits of keep them inside so the idea is that it's supposed to be treated like a normal colony ship and then the ship's using the most expendable members to defend it to make sure it reaches its destination even though the destination is its death i don't think it gets that but so the ship's been banking on the memory loss of these characters as they come out of their hypersleep did last long enough for them to repel attackers was there anything else you wanted to talk about uh little tibis i had fun making up new alien species <laughs> throw out there yeah i liked throwing in a wreck it ralphian just for fun that's a tiny little jab into the world but it feels almost like uh like how yondu's just randomly a character from that one race which one race oh that brought up something completely different than i was expecting uh, uh i'm gonna google what's a yard yard yeah Yard is an English unit of length in both the British Imperial and U.S. customary systems of measurement. Comprises of three feet or 36 inches. Inches. Yondu. Zitoan tribe? Native to Centauri 4? Damn. Centaurian. That's what species it is. Now we see Daniel's plagiarism for all of its and all its glory. Or whatever the opposite of glory is. Oh, I thought he was a whole different race. Oh, I thought he was a Cree. Uh, there it is. Okay. Never mind. But he, I didn't realize he was a whole separate thing. But yeah, I thought he was a Cree. But how they just kind of drop in references to the Cree Empire, even though they're not really directly always in the movies. But anyway, I thought it was a fun little tidbit. Because I'd be like, what's he doing here? How'd he get out here? But yeah, I think that was all the extra stuff I had in there. Okay. I just want to leave you with a little tidbit of my own. Michonne's naked body. <laughs> it was tactical. He had to get nude. Tactical nudity. Oh, yeah, we need to make another reference. Um, This reference is Michonne. He's quite the bad apple, huh? <laughs> My story. Coloring book by Quentin Pongratz. 17 weeks ago, I wrestled a Russian down the length of Oak Street. I slammed him across the faces of the buildings lining the street, and he did his fair share of damage back to me. At the end of it all, I stood over him. My orange boot planted firmly on his chest. I looked back down the street. Smoke billowed from a fire. Water gushed from the hydrant we had knocked over. People peeked out of the alleyways to see if the area was safe enough for a proper retreat. Down at the other end of the street sat the armored truck, carrying all of the bank's money that the Russian had been trying to get into. I had saved the day. Then one of the sentinels swooped down from the sky and knocked me out of the city entirely. I sat in the crater my body created when it had landed until I felt the familiar need to vomit and did so. I had to walk to the highway, then hitchhike back to the city. I caught the evening news before I went to sleep. Northwest Sentinel saved city from the Russian and Agent Orange. Apparently they had decided we were a duo, and our fight had been a disagreement between villains, and not actually a rescue of the armored vehicle and all its money. Sixteen weeks ago I dressed all in yellow. I went to the rooftops and leapt from peak to peak. I looked down on the people and searched for any crime. Finding none, I jumped back home and threw up. I didn't have the pleasure of stopping any wrongdoing, but it felt good to fly through the air, to feel my legs pushing off the rooftops with such power. 
the concrete bricks crumbling beneath the force as I launched upwards. When I sat down to unwind, I felt, if not fulfilled in my purpose, at least satisfied in my journey. Then I turned on the news. They reported about a new yellow terror visiting the city. This villain wasn't interested in robbery or murder, however. Only the destruction of property, specifically roofs. Someone interviewed dubbed me as the Dandelion, a weed sowing its destruction throughout the city. They put out an open request to any hero listening to stop me, even if I wasn't a top priority villain. I threw away my yellow suit and went to bed. Fifteen weeks ago, I took a break. I read a book that had been staring me down for months. Not all of it, of course. I only got through a chapter before I started watching television for the night. Too many shows, too little time. Fourteen weeks ago, I went to purchase more Hyperion seeds. I tried to go to my usual dealer, but they were nowhere to be found. I asked around the streets to find a new dealer, but every lead led to a dead end. No one was dealing the stuff anymore, it seemed. But I was able to finally find at least one promising lead. I went to a seedy bar that was said to be a source for Hyperion seeds. The conversation stopped when I walked through the door. The place was darker than bars tend to be. I looked around the room and everyone lowered their faces. So I went to the bar and tried to get the attention of the bartender. They had their back to me and didn't even turn when I cleared my throat. Excuse me. The bartender turned to face me. Yet face wasn't quite the right word. The bartender's front was a mix of bark and leaves. The leaves rustled and some twigs moved and it said, Excuse you is right. It'd be best if you weren't here and forgot you ever were. Just looking for some seats. I heard clicks behind me. I didn't need to turn around to know that every patron had just cocked their guns in my direction. I'd been doing this vigilante stuff long enough to know that sound. Look elsewhere. I was about to pop a seed and settle this situation when the bartender looked past me. Y'all trees know anything about Hyperion seeds? A voice yelled from behind me. I turned around and saw that all the guns were now pointed at the newcomers. The four that had just walked in were scoping out the bar. One had some goggles on and appeared to be scanning the crowd. I inched out of the way, hoping not to be the center stage if anything went down. I didn't know if this was a rival gang or what. I just wanted some seeds so I could keep doing good for this city. One of the four yelled, dropped, and tossed something into the center of the room. I dove behind the bar and popped one of the seeds I had on me. I pulled on the mask I kept in my pocket. I wasn't fully color-coordinated as usual, but at least I would be able to keep my identity secret. For what good that mattered. Shooting erupted while I felt the warmth of the seed course through my limbs. What's your name? I asked while I waited for the seed to take full effect. Spruce, said the bartender. Who are these guys? I assume the ones that have been causing us trouble around town. Spruce rummaged around the bar and produced a shotgun. Rival gang? He scoffed. If only. They're trying to shut down the whole seed business. He loaded the gun. Well, we can't have that. I stretched my arms and cracked my neck. You help me find seeds if I help get rid of them? He nodded. I felt the strength fully take hold and I burst out from behind the bar. Tables were flipped over and I spotted the gun taking blind shots over the edge. I strolled up to the table and grabbed the gun. I didn't snatch it. I just squeezed. The gun crumpled in my hand. I peered over the flip table. You lost? The group scurried out from behind the table and out the door. Some trees chased after them. I turned to the bartender. What are you waiting for? Get them. The deal was to get rid of them, and they're gone, I said. Spruce scoffed at me. Then he reached behind the bar and tossed a baggie in my direction. Thirteen weeks ago, I patrolled the city all in purple. But then something happened. 
Something I can't really remember. I took the seed, I felt the warmth, then I woke up in the dark curled up next to a puddle of vomit. I watched the news and apparently I had gone on a rampage, throwing cars into buildings and ripping the city apart. Apparently no hero was able to stop me before I disappeared. They called me the Bruise. Not the kind of name I'm going for, but that seemed to be the least of my problems at that point. It seems I had gotten a bad batch or something. I shouldn't have trusted a tree. Twelve weeks ago I tracked Spruce down. He claimed he didn't know the seeds were tainted. But if I wanted a good supply of them, he had a job for me. One where you don't flink out on me this time, he said. One where you better define the job ahead of time, I said back. I accepted it. Eleven weeks ago it all went down. Not just in the colloquial sense, but everything. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. I dressed in green again, this time a full suit and not just the mask. If I was to be working with the trees, I figured I might as well blend in. I met up with the trees at their warehouse. Spruce introduced me to some other trees that have names I couldn't pronounce. I tried, but I think the human mouth works differently than however they actually produce sound. They showed me around the facility. I saw the trees shaking seeds from themselves onto conveyor belts. I saw the masses of seeds getting collected into a vat for the coating process. I saw some of the seeds get ground up and moved to another part of the warehouse. They hand me a bag of seeds and tell me there's plenty more where that came from if I can protect this place. Someone mentioned a lifetime supply, and if I wasn't invested in the gig before, I was after that. I swallowed a seed and went outside. I figured the best way to stop them was keep them from even entering the building. I leapt from roof to roof, roof to street, street to roof, and then from building corner to corner. I had the whole place covered from entry. I threw up and took another seed. I repeated this cycle a couple more times before anything actually started. But by the time it had started, it was already too late. I heard the explosion and leapt around to see where it had come from. All sides of the building were intact, but then I realized my mistake. Smoke rose out from the windows of the building. I leapt through a wall and saw the smoldering hole in the middle of the room. They had come up from the sewers. I cursed my luck and joined the fray. Trees shot into the smoke, but they didn't seem to be hitting anyone. I leapt to the top of the machine to get a better vantage point. I spotted one of them, but they had spotted me and before I could react, the grappling hook flew at my face. Now that didn't hurt with the seed active, but I was no longer on a perch. I took a second on the smoke-filled ground to get my bearings. I wondered what my next move should be when one runs right past me. Without getting up, I launched myself at their legs. My body slid across the floor and separated their feet from it. A young man laid sprawled on the floor across from me. I stood. Pops sounded in the air from gunfire, but I also cracked my knuckles to add to the effect. My size didn't change to reflect my new strength when I took the seeds, but my time fighting crime had taught me a few techniques of intimidation. I always stood with my shoulders backed and puffed myself up. Cracking the knuckles was always a good standby. I stomped as I walked over. This cracked the floor with each step and helped with the intimidation game. When I reached him, he looked up at me. He was young. Too young. What was he doing here? He pulled out a gun from behind his back and pointed at me. I kicked his hand and the gun flew across the room. His scream of pain drowned out the chaos around us. His hand was broken. He pushed away from me with his feet but reached the machinery behind him before getting anywhere. I walked after him. He propped himself up with his one good hand. The speaker on his collar spoke up. Eugene, where are you? I put a foot on his knee, called him off. He scoffed. I ain't doing anything for a freak. I flexed the muscle in my leg and break his. He cried out again. You got another leg? 
He tried another scoff, but it came out as a sob. I don't listen to abominations, let alone supervillain abominations. Supervillain. The words hit me harder than any punch he could have thrown, even on the seeds. I had been getting used to being called a supervillain, but it was hard to deny the truth of his words, with his broken hand and leg as evidence. I was defending a gang. Drug dealers. I was the villain. I backed away from him. I shook my head. I reached into my pocket and threw some seeds at him. Take one. It'll heal you up. I leapt away before I could hear his reply. After that, I lost track of time. I put a lot of work into fighting the real bad guys, but none of that went over so well. I should have known where wearing all white would have led to name-wise. Then I wore all pink, thinking they couldn't come up with a name to tarnish that, but I was wrong again. I battled some weird plant monster that burst out through the streets. I don't think there was any relation to the tree guys, but who knows. The battle with the plant didn't lead to any casualties or excessive property damage. It didn't look like I was stealing money somehow. I thought I had beat the curse. But a week later, the news proved me wrong. I watched as the anchor explained that the itching sensation that had been plaguing the city for the past week was due to a supervillain known as Pink Eye. It was not a battle between man and plant that had occurred on the city streets, but instead a mad scientist releasing plant spores into the air. These spores seemed to be mostly harmless, but when they got into the eyes, they caused extreme itchiness. If I were an evil scientist, I would have invented a better delivery mechanism for my minor annoyance than punching a giant plant thing in the streets, but I guess that's just me. Two weeks ago, I ran out of fresh seeds. They weren't available on the streets anymore. I had just been subsisting on the supply I got from the job at the warehouse. I had been saving the leftovers of what I threw up, but was afraid to plunge into that regurgitated stash. I had heard the stories about the trees sprouting out of the bodies of those that took them. Besides, it didn't seem like my talents as a hero were being appreciated anyway. I could let the city wait while I gathered my courage. One week ago, I went to see Jen. I wanted to see if she still had any fully intact seeds. She wouldn't open the door. I don't know if she was inside and didn't want to see me, or if she wasn't even home. Maybe she moved. I just sat against the door and wept and waited for something to happen. Nothing did. I guess at some point I left. Now I stare at this baggie of little seedlets, the emetic coating already digested and thrown up with them. I washed them off after I collected them, but they still had the faint sick smell to them. What happens if I eat one and don't throw it up? What happens if I eat more than one? There are no more seeds out and about. I couldn't find any tree people to answer any of my questions. I wonder if death is the worst that could happen if I take them. I've been pacing my apartment the whole day. The sun is setting and I have to make a decision if I'm going to go out for patrol tonight or if I'm going to do like I've done the past few weeks and just don't decide until I fall asleep and wake up with the opportunity already passed. I can't keep doing nothing, though. I take one. I swallow. Then I keep going. I don't know what compels me to keep downing them, but I do. Then I'm just staring at an empty baggie. I don't feel anything, though. I don't feel that usual warmth. I don't feel the strength taking hold of my limbs. I don't feel it. I walk to the bathroom to get a glass of water to take the slight vomit taste from my mouth. Maybe splash some water on my face. I look in the mirror. I see each individual speck of dried toothpaste crusted to the mirror. I see the smudges of handprints. I see tiny bits of shaved beard that have made it oh so very far from the sink. Then I see my face. And it doesn't seem like I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at someone apart from myself. 
The mirror wobbles. I get dizzy from the sensation and close my eyes to stop it. With my eyes closed, I can determine the world is not actually spinning. I open them again, and it actually is. Off kilter and off balance, I trip forward and fall into the mirror. I expect resistance, a cracking mirror, but I keep falling. I fall into my own reflection, and then past it, and into my own bathroom, and then past it. I fall past the floor. I fall through the floor below mine. I fall through the building, and then through the ground, and then I keep falling. The Earth's core whizzes by me, then the other side of the Earth, then the moon. Stars, planets, galaxies fly by me, then nothing. I look back behind me and see the vastness of everything shrink down into a single point. I turn my head forward again and see it. A face, a being, eyes, fire, wood. I can't tell if I'm still falling and it's passing me, or if I'm inside it and not moving, or if it's merely just in front of me. Then it spoke. The end. I did it. So pretty nice doing a callback to episode one. Yeah, I, I've been waiting to do this since I wrote the first one because I, I thought it would be fun to have this character go through a bunch of different colors and <laughs> and uh, always be seen as a villain even though they wanted to be a hero. Like, after a long enough period of time, is he just going to become a villain? I think so. Well, he, he kind of does. Yeah, kinda that's true. It's working with the bad guys. Originally, I thought about the green one being the green goblin and just not referencing it. But What if he got, like, IP infringement lawsuits leveled at him for that one? I did consider that. And then I was like, that's too weird. Because <laughs> that implies that marvel exists (laughs) i didn't go too far down that rabbit hole but i did consider it like that was the law he was breaking that time or or he'd be infringing on some other not not marvel green goblin but some other hero or villain called the green (laughs) goblin comes after him but yeah that just makes me wonder how many are like what's the superhero suit buying industry like in this world is it like cosplaying suit supplies like where you can find specialty etsy shops yeah i don't know it's on amazon i kind of envisioned him just having different colored like actual like three-piece suits (laughs) and a mask but i never specify so that's what i imagined in my head while writing it but i i kind of left it up to well maybe it could just be a super suit and everyone can paint it in however they want they can color it in i think my imagination went between the generic superhero they have in all those draw superhero books and defendor with woody harrelson oh um i had a thought after reading your story what if kaiju and the tree people come from the same area so that the tree or the kaiju can just eat their seeds and it grows whole trees inside of them to eat i just thought that was a really a really gross whole trees inside of them yeah for them to eat like it eats a couple of seeds and it just grows trees inside their belly and they just slowly eat on that oh so it's like an expanding food in their stomachs yeah okay but so too if you ever get eaten by kaiju you'll find these random forests it's like drinking a glass of milk yeah just oh i had too much of them seeds now i'm bloated (laughs) it's just a a weird idea because then you'd have kaiju with like random trees growing out of them too Oh, yeah. So when they throw up this, the Hyperion seed, does it just sprout if they leave it out like, on the sidewalk? So. Oh, okay. See, I don't think we fully went into it, 
but I, I did like the idea on re-listen that because I just re-listened to it today. I like the idea of it can create a tree. So I guess maybe it does just sprout if you just throw it at the ground. It creates a tree, but not a tree person. Yeah. And the tree person, what it needs is like some extra fertilization step. The The regular trees are like eggs, like a chicken yeah. lays, but the unfertilized ones will never hatch into anything. Oh, okay. Is how I'm envisioning it. So then when they have the seeds fertilized, I don't know what their their biological process is with which they do that, but whatever process that is that they do that with, that becomes a tree person. See, I was thinking you meant like they plant these trees and then there's some extra step and only those trees produce tree people, almost like how some bugs have multiple like life cycle steps, but I like your idea a lot better. Oh, yeah. I, so we had the same idea, but yours is like later in the process. Ah, okay. I think mine is the fertilization has to come before the seed grows. Gotcha. So we had the same same idea mine is earlier in the phase. Yeah. No, I like so, that. So the trees don't just come alive from full, full ground. Well, yeah. it's also kind of cool. So, but either way, it needs a, it needs another step to become a tree person. I like this idea that someday your multicolored seed eater eats some seeds and next day he wakes up and it turns out they were fertilized. <laughs> and so there's like a couple little tree sprout people like in his room covered in vomit. Just like, yay, <laughs> comes a little tree daddy. That also made me think it'd be really funny during the bar fight if he doesn't have any seeds. And so Spruce just reaches up. And like Whoa. rips off like his earring or something like that. That turns out to be a seed. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Shakes out his hair. Seeds in the ear. I had another little thought. It was just a environmental storytelling. But it'd be kind of interesting if we were doing like a comic to just randomly have birds that have trees plant sprouting out of them in the background sometimes. <laughs> just as like a thing. Yeah. Oh, but then I wanted to ask you more about your vision, your tree vision. Yeah. What about it? <laughs> I, is that a new character or is that like. This weird descent into madness. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see where that goes, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's based us off some things we already talked about, some things we've also talked about privately of larger storyline things. Yeah. Which is also going to be interesting now that we're st- we've started. Uh, I think we've made the decision to kind of stop introducing new stuff in the story bits. Yeah, like slow down, like... No more, like, main, main characters. Yeah, let off the gas on the creating and the stories and start uh, developing some of the storylines we've been kind of talking about. We've we've advanced some things in the world builds, but some of the things haven't been advanced so much in the, in the stories. And I think it'll be interesting to start trying to do that. Yeah. And it's weird because we'll have to kind of skip around in order to do any advancing at all. Because I need to go back and, I mean, I need to go back and just re-listen to old episodes. But yeah. I need to go and write a story for a new Bison, Wisp, and Echo to kind of catch up with them. Yeah, that would be fun. I need to do some more with like the Seven Deadly Sins, kind of bring them back up in small ways. Yeah. We haven't even done a story with the Monster Crew yet. Monster Crew. This is the most swords gotten into the stories. Yeah. <laughs> we have to do a Battle Maiden story. Yeah. I forgot that she's kind of the last main character that really hasn't had a proper introduction. I mean, we haven't done a whole lot with a lot of the characters we've introduced. Yeah. But we can uh, still create some things in the world builds, but also start advancing some of the, the plots. 
because we we've talked about uh the the teen team uh legacy yeah we've talked about them growing forward and getting spark plug as a new member but as long as we're introducing new things and not revisiting old things we can't we haven't done that in story we've just talked about how it's a thing yeah yeah i need to figure out are we both need to come up with a way to get that in there yeah i think it'll be interesting now that we're trying to do that like as a goal of our stories yeah yeah we we kind of have an event set up that we've hinted at and then we've got another one that seems to be kind of coming up yeah so we're going to talk about those and how we can work towards those and how we would do something like a like an artificial insurrection in story format right yeah i think that'll be a fun thing yeah but that's what that last bit was to try to progress some story stuff yeah while also introducing new stuff and reincorporating old stuff that we hadn't seen on the page also monster crew was there in the background but you couldn't (laughs) couldn't tell that'd be really good it's just also monster crew was at the bar they're just there (laughs) what do you want to do next week for world build i know we said we're pumping the brakes on new characters but I still feel like we kind of have a dearth of villains. Oh, yeah. We meant to do that at some point. Yeah. Do you want to do a villain next month or next week? We can do all villains. Oops, all villains. <laughs> Guys, you heard it here. Next week, we're going to try to compile a list of all our heroes and come up with a one villain for each of them. Oof. All right. Some of them we will be this. better than others. Because <laughs> it's going to be a lot of them. It's going to be a rapid fire episode. And then the next story episode after that, which will definitely be on time. Um, that one's a real good prompt. Everyone's turned into drinks? Yep. Is that it? Yep. I got, I got my <laughs> my concept. I'm ready. I think it's a really good prompt. <laughs> he said that. It's just I have, I have no idea how to prompt that, I, but I figured it out. I love it. He said it, and I went, that's way far out there. Sorry to everyone. Sorry if you're a previous guest and you gave us a prompt. I know Matt didn't <laughs> give us a prompt. We'll need to have him back on just so we can get a prompt from him. <laughs> Sorry, everyone else, but your prompt pales in comparison to everyone's turned into drinks. <laughs> okay. It's real good. Do you want to wrap it up? Yeah. Daniel, have you seen The Purge? Which one? Just The Purge. Uh, I've seen one, The Purge. I've seen Purge election year. I've not seen the first Purge. You haven't seen the first Purge? I mean, I saw the first Purge, but I haven't uh, seen Oh, is there one called the first Purge? Yeah. That is annoying. That's like the Xbox <laughs> One and Battlefield <laughs> One PS. <laughs> the first Purge? Have you seen the first Purge? Well, yeah, I, saw I saw the, the first, first one purge. that came out. It's as bad as so which one Star Wars A New Hope being number four. Yeah, that's not. Uh, if it was Star Wars the first one, Star Wars <laughs> One... Episode four. I've seen The Purge, 2013. The Purge, Election Year, 2016. The Purge, Anarchy, 2014. But I have not seen the first port, Purge, 2018. So that's the one that's about to come out. I think it's... It just came out? I think it's out now. Oh, okay. yeah. I haven't seen The Purge. Oh, at all? Any of them? Nope. Oh. I would recommend seeing the first. Well... And if you only see one other one, Election Year has some interesting ideas. Well, I was going to say that even though I hadn't seen it, I listened to a podcast about it today and, oh. and it made me want to see it. What was the podcast? The podcast was called Sequel Rights. Their their description is a podcast where we look at film franchises that make you go, 
they made how many of those? <laughs> but they they pick a film franchise and then they go through each one in order, sequel wise. Oh, I I was hoping they had a Hellraiser one. That seems not to be one they've done yet unless i missed it it's a rough franchise though because it kind of rebooted a couple of times but yeah it's a mess but yeah the most interesting one to me at the the time of picking one to download i picked uh the purge and it was a recent one too i didn't really have any interest to see the purge is partly why i uh picked it i thought hey it won't spoil anything but then by the end of the episode i uh actually wanted to see it so oh cool so i may actually watch it but do you know how i found this podcast sequel sequel rights indulge me well i follow two pods a day on twitter what it's this twitter account that tweets out two pods a day and we're actually a part of it did you know that i did know that one okay oh and they actually had the editor that did the the edited the movie oh that, that was that's awesome their guest for it oh and the next one they have the composer on cool that's cool i may also listen to those and just spoil them (laughs) (laughs) i i would say of movies there's like a little spoiler here and there that would kind of like but most of the movie is about the the thrill like the the tension they build not the story itself yeah which was made possible through editing, which they have the editor on. Oh yeah. But the one they did, the movie franchise they did before that was Tremors. <laughs> so that one sounds pretty good. That would be an excellent series for that podcast. All this month, you can follow two pods a day and they'll give you two indie podcasts you can check out. They got little blurbs on each podcast. They've got reviews for each of them. So if you're following, you can check out the ones that might be interesting to you and find hopefully find a few new favorites throughout the month. There's a hashtag, there's a Facebook group, there's a couple of different ways that you can you can follow along to see what all podcasts they suggest you listen to. And I actually got in contact with Sequel Rights to see if they had a promo they wanted us to play in this episode. So if I got that, it'll go here. Welcome to Sequel Rights. Join your hosts, Justin Camps, Elizabeth Helley, and Tyler Hamilton, as we take a look at the franchises that make you go, they made how many of those? And we give each and every sequel a fair trial. Species 3, Open Water 3, Cage Drive, Cage Drive. <laughs> Boy, the love! Just when you thought this franchise couldn't get any worse. Find us at SequelRights.com and your preferred podcast app. You know what's another good podcast that I have found through two podcasts today? What? Champions of the Earth. What's that one about? It's like a Power Rangers story, but it's a real play RPG. Mm, We know how much you love Power Rangers. Oh, I like me some Power Rangers. Go listen to championscast.tumblr.com. I I had another thing I was going to shill, but I feel like we shilled a lot, so I'll just do that another time. Yeah, it does feel like a lot. (laughs) Yeah. But it's good stuff. You can go check those things out. Do it. Do all of the things. And if any of the people we shill out for are racist, well, sorry, we only, like, listen to, like, one thing. Can't tell from one thing if someone's racist unless they're, like, real racist all the time. Some people are very good at being stealth racist. So, if either of these podcasts, I'm putting both of you on warning. You are on probation if, right starting now. If either of you gets all racist on me, I'm a, I'm out. I'll disavow you, whatever that means. Cut ties like a like a mob family. You can follow me on Twitter anytime, day or night, 
at Guerre. You can even do it if you're racist, but he may not follow yeah. back at that point. Yeah, and I haven't known to block Nazis, so, you know, that could happen too. Are there places people can find you for stuff? Yeah, on Twitter at White Power Quinn. <laughs> no! You're hard-wicking on me! Yep. Got him. No, just at Quentin Pongratz. Our art is by Lisa Prather. You can find her art at lisapratherart.com. Email, Twitter, website, WordPress, Facebook. Come talk to us. Seek us out. Okay, here we go. Are you ready, Daniel? I'm ready. I wish this episode was over. (gasps) And yet the episode is not over. Future Quentin here. Sorry if the sound quality is bad. I We've got 30 minutes to make it before to release this episode on Monday, like we said we were going to. So here I am to read the song credits that may have just been added moments before reading this off. And it'll go out before midnight on monday like we said in this time zone at least so here's the song we got unconquered sun by the free harmonic orchestra we got sleepless by the free harmonic orchestra we got free harmonics by the free harmonic orchestra that third one was actually the theme song we use week in week out decay anxiety four by less than one night owl by broke for free Effects of Elevation by Revolution Void. The Politics of Desire by Revolution Void. Gymnopedes by Uncle Milk. You can find those songs, links to those songs, uh, in our show notes. You can find all those songs on free, the Free Music Archive. It's a pretty neat place. And uh, Daniel and I used a bunch of sound effects uh I think he's linking some of them in the show notes. Some of them are public domain. Most of them are found at freesound.org. That's where I find mine, at least. Okay. Well, uh, the, the, the bit after the ending thing now. Goodbye. Did it work? You did. <laughs> you did steal the ending. <laughs> You're a monster. I'm going to have a sign-off bit. I wish this was the bit after the episode is over. And then it's actually over now. <laughs> A second in credit scene? Does this apple taste funny, apple. Daniel? Oh, I don't know. Here, let me give me give me a taste. This apple does taste bad. Man, I wish this episode would give me the understanding to understand it. We've gone too far. Work? We can end it whenever. Okay. Now I just have oh, to, I had to commit to eating this apple though. <laughs> for one for one bit. Check out our Discord. I don't need to say bye, we've already done that. I bet.